All right, welcome everybody to this episode of Breaking Absolutes. Uh, I'm really excited to have this conversation today um, with Pat Gaswaldo, who is the founder and CEO of the Metal Hall of Fame. Um, he's also got, uh, which is a nonprofit, and we'll, we'll dig into that if it's something that you're less familiar with. I think the work here he's doing is not only exciting, I think it's really, really important. Um, and that's, that's a bias, of course, because I'm a rock and metal guy. Um, but as this show endeavors to do, uh, which is to break down stereotypes and, and drive towards a broader appeal for a music that we think deserves it, um, there couldn't be a better guest than Pat and what he's trying to do here. So I'm excited to kind of uh, dig more into that. It's an effort that's been going on, I think, for roughly five years, and we'll get more from Pat on that. Um, he also ha founds and owns uh, uh, an organization called Drums and Disabilities, and it's, it's pretty much what it sounds like, um, using uh, drums as a therapeutic mechanic uh, for people with disabilities, children and adults. Um, and um, that is just all goodness there, right? Um, we know of organizations that use music as therapy. I think percussion uh, is, is unique in this regard. We, we had some discussion about this with Mike Mangini several months ago. So I'm excited to talk to Pat about that as well. Um, he's a musician himself, and so we'll get into a little bit of uh, Pat the man uh, behind all of these, uh, these cool efforts. But let me go ahead and bring Pat on, and we'll just have the conversation with him. Pat, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Greatly appreciate it. Great honor to be here. Yeah, I, um, I, I remember, uh, well, let me, before we get into the conversation, let me just ask how you're doing. I mean, COVID's been a weird time for the better part of 18 months. How you how have you weathered this? Yeah, <laughs> thankfully, I've been okay. Uh, you know, it's been tough for everybody, the entire world, I know. And how about you? Are you doing okay? And you're safe? Yeah, I mean, the irony for me is that I spend most of my time in this very seat, um, either composing music or writing books. And so the, the effect of COVID for me was mental in that I, would, I, I, I realized that were things I could now not do. So the constraint was, was mental. It wasn't because I am typically out doing lots of stuff anyway. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, so everybody's half, you know, healthy and, um, you know, I had, I had my shots and, and I'm one of those who, um, I'm not, uh, dictatorial about people's choices, their choices are their choices. Um, but I, I had my shot, but the, again, like I say, this space you see me in is where I spend the lion's share of every day. So, um, for, for, for good or ill, I don't come in contact with people too much. Uh, probably better off. <laughs> yeah. Well, except for concerts and, you know, those kinds of things, which we're all hoping are back on, on track soon. And we'll talk about a little bit about that, especially with regards to the gala that you, you put on every year. Um, but before we get into it, I, I want to, I'm interested to know if there's an intersection here. Um, years ago, I'm sure you'll remember Eddie Trunk's That Metal Show. Um, and Eddie, and, and I want to talk about this with you because I'm, sh I know you have, uh, passionate opinions about this. And I think, I, I think I share them. I shouldn't put words in your mouth. I'm just making some metal assumptions there, but I remember Eddie shares some of this same opinion about the, the rock and roll hall of fame, um, you know, marked, marked, um, disregard for this genre of music, um, it's, it's not only laughable, it's kind of disgusting. And Eddie made a mention, a, like a passing mention in one of those, there's something in the works. 
And I, I, I wonder if that was wishful thinking or if you and he have ever had conversation, if he was ever uh, uh, something in your ear, or if you guys are just of like minds in this regard that, that, that created the catalyst for doing what you're doing with the Metal Hall of Fame. Yeah, and actually <laughs> kind of all started because of, because of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately. Um, that's really how the whole thing started is, uh, is that um, I was watching Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when Deep Purple got inducted. And I'm very friendly with all the guys in the band and I've you know worked with them in various capacities. And, and um, so when it came time for John Lord to happen to have to say something since he passed away, his wife Vicky went up with Ian Pace on his behalf to accept. And the camera kind of panned to the audience, you know, and everybody was like half asleep, like one of these. And it just really pissed me off. And then the next segment, Easy e got inducted and the place went crazy. So right then and there, I said, you know what? Somebody has to do something about this. I said, you know, I'm going to do it. So I said, I'm going to call it the Metal Hall of Fame. And that was in, what was that? Uh, April. And that January, we had our first show. Yeah, it's, it, I'm, it's, it's, it's cool that you took the bull by the horns there because I think the first shot heard around the world on this topic was when Metallica got beat by Jethro Tull. Oh, uh, crazy. And, um, you know, I think even the passing music fan was like, really? Like, really? This is, um, um, and that was actually a Grammy thing, but it, it, was, it was a signal that the industry kind of had this the systemic marginalization of, of the music. Um, and, you know, I've heard different metal and rock artists have differing opinions on whether or not the Hall of Fame would be counted in, in their estimation as a feather in the cap. Um, most of them that I recall, um, they really don't care. And I think it's because the Rock Hall has lost um, any sort of credibility with rock and metal artists. Do you find that true or am I overgeneralizing? No, hundred percent. I mean, and that's the reason, like I said, that we started the whole thing and, and, uh, they, they're not happy with us. I can tell you that, uh, they've called me up and have told me what to go do to myself. And <laughs> I kind of same thing, you know, but it is. Yeah. What it is. Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's a little surprising. They seem like, um, they, they it seems like a group of bureaucrats to me. Um, it is. who are, aren't really interested in the music as much as they are as making their PR cycles and appeasing, you know, to your point, appeasing the kinds of people that are going to win them more adulation, um, which is the shame of that to me. Tell me if, if, if you disagree. The shame of that to me is that at its, in, its, it's, in its inception, rock and roll music had this kind of defiance, this kind of... Um, you know, this declaration of music and, and attitude and feeling that was different from what became, came before. It was something not to be co-opted. Um, now, we all know that behind the scenes, business is business, but the, the, the fans still regard it this way. They still show up at the concerts and they throw metal horns and they share. I had a, I had a, I had a PhD from London um, who has published papers on the, the, rock, the metal culture and the degree to which showing up at things like concerts creates this credibility and this, this um, familiar, familiarity amongst the people. 
And that's the, I mean, that's the, um, the culture that we love. It's the culture you're celebrating with doing this. And it's absolutely the culture that rock and roll was founded upon. And so that's why it seems so egregious to me that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has uh, eventuated in what it is because it, it is at odds with the very spirit of rock and roll. Now, is that, is that my soapbox or um, is that ring true for you? Oh, totally rings true for me and so many other people. And, and I think you're right uh, that a lot of hard rock and metal musicians really just don't care about it. It's, it's unfortunate, but, but it is what it is. I mean, they, whatever you do, just be true to what you do. Yeah. That's the main thing. Yeah. It's, it, um, I've been there uh, a couple of years ago. I went to the rock and roll hall of fame. And I have to tell you, I was giddy. I was so excited. Uh, and I had largely, I knew that there were some, um, there'd been some, um, groups that were passed over, uh, and certainly some groups never even nominated that belonged there, but mostly I, I, I hadn't been pulled into any of the, um, dialogue about it or, or participated in it. And I went and there's certainly some great stuff there. I don't know. I'm sure you've been, um, but there was stuff in there that I was like, why is this here? And, and not just like a passing reference, like entire areas. Um, enti- yeah, no, I've never been there. Oh, you have not? Um, no. Well, I wish I could say you should go. <laughs> um, I mean, I will say this. There was a, a, there's, a, there's a theater. I don't know if they still show it. They, sh- they show a kind of a montage of um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performances. And um, it, it, it was all good. But there was a, a solo by Prince. Um, when he was there and I, I can't remember if it was induction or if he was just part of the, the jam session, but I had no idea Prince was such a great guitar player. And it, it reminded me that, you know, a lot of Prince's music is guitar driven. Um, and it started to become a thing I was, th- I would think about with regards to the rock hall of fame is, um, and, and this may be oversimplifying, but wouldn't it stand to reason that at least one of the things you'd first look at for a band that belongs in the rock hall of fame is that it's just guitar centered music. Oh, for sure. I mean, it sounds like an oversimplification, but there were, and by the way, some of the groups that are there, I love, but I just kept thinking, well, maybe this should be the music hall of fame, you know, or, or I don't know. Pop Everybody hall. says that. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the point is, is the, the, the evolution, and, and here's, here's what I hear. Um, there's, there's rap and pop artists that get inducted. Um, some of them ha- scratch their head, although they graciously accept the award. Others um, sort of defiantly say, well, rock and roll is not a music, it's an attitude. And the obvious response to that is rock and roll is both. And so you can, you can say that you're, and, and by the way, you can say the same thing metal. People who passingly say, well, that's really metal. Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, I, I, it, has, it carries more weight if you're actually a metalhead or you know what metal is. But, okay, let's stipulate to the idea that rock and, rock and roll is an attitude and we can all buy into an idea of defiance and counterculture. But it is also a music. And so if the, if the hall is to celebrate, you know, one, it would seem to me that it should celebrate both. Yeah. Is Beyonce a rock star? No. <laughs> Right. But Upstar, yes. Yeah, and you know what? There should be there should be a place to celebrate the amazing achievements of artists of that altitude and success and sales. Oh, no two ways about it. Yeah. Um, 
but it, it, what it does is it dilutes, 100% dilutes what rock and roll began as, what, it, what it's always been. So um, uh, I think it created a, a perfect storm and a need that you have filled. Um, so, I'm, so thank you. I, I remember when Eddie said that, I thought, yeah, someone's going to have to do that. So, and I don't remember when he said it. And it was just a passing con- comment on that metal show. Um, because he would, he would, he would jump up in on his soapbox with r- great fire and vitriol for the snubs. Um, and I Ooh. wanted to, I wanted to, like, I wanted to mention a few of those. So, to, and you, and you keep me honest because I think you're probably better versed here. But to my reckoning, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, that bears the name of the music we love. Um, ha- this year, it passed over Iron Maiden again. Um, it does not have. Priest or Ozzy or Dio or Crew or Motorhead or Slayer or Megadeth or Pantera or the Scorpions. And there is litany of bands that are, you know, foundational that they've looked past. Are you, do you have any insight into how it is that they overlook these groups? Well, uh, first of all, I just think it's abhorrent that they did, number one. Number two, um, you can't call yourself any hall of fame without many of those artists which we have yeah <laughs> which i'm very proud to say that we do have them at the metal hall of fame and that's what we're all about um but yeah I, why do you look it over i think you have if part of the situation i think is the general consensus right now we have um, a, a, a strict criterion that must be followed in order to be inducted. One is album sales, of course. Two is the fan base It's it's it, and, and our fans. It's all about the fans, right? Metal Hall of Fame is about two things. One is about all about those artists and musicians and bands and even record company executives, people behind the scenes who have worked so hard to keep our music alive and thriving. And that's a very important part about that. And it's also about the fans. So, and the second criterion is, yeah, you know, the album sales and, and, and what you do, um, how you've been uh, in society. That's a very big part of everything. Our fan base, of course, and then our, um, our executive team and our board that we then work together um, and make sure that everything is properly accounted and voted for from the fan vote. But, I think just by the very inherent nature of what we do, right, that we're going to have just one group of people. I mean, I don't think you're going to have many metal fans involved with what they do because they're doing so many other things where with us, that's all we do is one thing. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they're, this is going to get me in trouble, Pat, but it's almost as if on that end, it's kind of a cattle call. Um, wherein anybody in, in, in music is, you know, it's arms are so wide that uh, it, and like, yes, we live in a world of inclusiveness, but it's important to have the distinction of what the, you know, what the hall represents, what it celebrates. Uh, and it's failed at that. Um, when I went through, it was actually one of the more disappointing, and it wasn't cheap. <laughs> oh, really? No, it's a. It wasn't not an. It's not a cheap excursion. No, I'm sure it wasn't. Um, but it was one of the more disappointing 
experiences I've had because I was so excited to get in there and to see exhibits and to uh, feel, you know, feel a celebration with people and with curators who shared this passion for, and it existed in pockets, but that you'd run up on things where um, uh, it, it, it like kind of destroyed the, the experience um, kind of like a turd in a punch bowl, you know, pardon the sort of rough and coarse analogy, but it was, uh, that was experience of it. So, and I think I'm underscoring your point that there's a focus to what you do um, that I think, um, you know, keeps you pointed in the right direction. Uh, you don't need to, to share this with me, but would it be safe to assume that your, your board, um, it, you know, even if they're not executives that actually work on, for, on, for metal labels, they're at least familiar with the genre. Is that a, is that a fair assessment of your, of your board? Yeah. Well, I can tell you that uh, our board is comprised of, and we'll get into the whole dad thing with the nonprofit, um, but for drums and disabilities. So on, on the dad side, since both organizations are actually really one, um, the Metal Hall of Fame is part of the DAD program, which is a nonprofit that helps special needs children, as you mentioned, and adults and wounded veterans. So we have doctors, lawyers, accountants on our board, especially on the DAD side of things. But with the Metal Hall of Fame, yeah, that's all about there's many, many major artists, uh, household names and musicians who are on the board, record company executives, people involved in the industry that uh that all oversee the entire thing yeah and that's that's really you know what it's all about so it's never ever about me but i'll tell you you just mentioned about keeping streamlined in one area or one genre maybe have you seen the woodstock museum i haven't no wow what an incredible museum right there at woodstock what they put together it's just phenomenal it's awesome and they did it I'll, I'll, next time I'm in that neck of the woods, I'll visit it for sure. Oh, you have to, for sure. Yeah. Just yeah. The, the job they did is just unbelievable. I think it's not to beat a dead horse, but it, I, I think that part of the, the disillusionment for me, and I'm not the only one, um, is that you, you go for an experience that, that does stay, remain focused on a certain passion point. We all have them. And sometimes, you know, it could be film, could be, other arts could be crafts and trades, whatever it is. But inside music, you know, if you went to Nashville to see the Country Hall of Fame, I'm not even sure that's I where it's I was just at. there. I was just there. Yeah. Okay. The building is amazing. It takes up like the entire block. It's unbelievable. Well, and so, and I was just spitballing it. Uh, I mean, I knew there was a hall. I didn't know where it was. But yeah, I, I have to believe you're not going to find Metallica in there. Well, you know, the other part of that, let's look at another analogy, right? Let's look at the Baseball Hall of Fame or the NFL Hall of Fame. Is the NFL Hall of Fame going to have baseball players? Is the MLB, you know, the Baseball Hall of Fame going to have football players? No, I don't think so. And that's kind of what it equates to, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right. And that, that's why that's where I was going with my, my, my commentary on the disillusionment is you, um, you, you want to have this, this participate in a celebration of something uh, and then – it runs so far afield in so many places of that joy and that expectation that it, um, it, it really becomes kind of a negative, um, negative experience. I mean, I was, I was happy to they have a great Elvis component. They do have a section in there that's kind of devoted to eighties rock and metal. 
but it, it seems almost in some ways that's almost a disservice because it's as if because we all know that that was there was a height of popularity in 80s metal some people go so far as to say it was just that version of pop but whatever right right, right. but whatever and and the term hair metal wasn't even a thing during hair metal but it, it is true that it, it was at a height of popularity because of radio rotation and MTV and all of that. So then what 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 I came away from the, the hall when I did the walkthrough is there's some cool stuff with some cool bands that I still love, but it's almost it's almost as though it's a it's a shrine to um, metal when it was fashionable. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because there was a point in time where, you know, you look at, okay, Van Halen might have been the, the and I use Beyonce before, for example, the Beyonce of today, the mainstream of today, which back then they were. Now it's virtually non-existent, unfortunately, right. with the exception of a few bands. Um, and that's unfortunate, you know, but uh, but I guess that is what it is. But you're right. I mean, it's it's what's relevant. And if that's the case, just go to the hard rock cafes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. In fact, when I do go to, and I, I make a point when I get into a new city to visit the Hard Rock Cafe, um, not for the food, though the food's fine, but um, for all the memorabilia, uh, you know, because I will usually find some cool guitar from a guitar hero of mine or, or something. Um, so whoever's curating the memorabilia there does get some of the stuff in. But it, it um, but it's a pop culture thing, you know. People go there to to be able to sort of virtually raise their horns and participate in rock and roll coolness. Um, but the the Hall of Fame, like that designation, means something. And so um, let's use that as a as a transition. Uh, so um, you already have sh- kind of shared with us a little bit about the selection criteria. Um, um, but as I understand it, f- on the fam component of the vote. You run that all year. You can come to the website anytime and and send Absolutely. in a vote. Okay, yeah, I think that's um, I, one of the things I like about that is there's a there's at least a portion of that that feels a little bit more um, more transparent or more more like fan involvement. I'm not aware of any mechanism where my voice can be heard with the Hall of Fame um, because I uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because I I have to imagine that if they did that the legions of fans that love Maiden would have been damn sure they got pulled in this year um, instead of, you know, overlooked again. Um, so kudos on the, on the sort of voting mechanic. I think it's great. We'll, we'll include a link to the site. Um, uh, but the, the point is, is that I think for each unique email address, you're able to send in a form and, and vote for somebody. Is, and, is yeah, that right? on the site and there it is. Okay. Um, that's awesome. Um, let's talk about um, just for a minute this year. Um, the way I understand it is a consequence of, of COVID is that this year you're it's going to be streamed. Can you tell us about it for this year? Yeah, unfortunately, it is going to be streamed. But every year, you know, we do the big gala in, in, in January uh, in California and Anaheim. And that's just so much fun. And it's just wonderful. It's a great place for all metalheads to get together as one big family. And unfortunately, we had to do a streaming event this year. But just like everybody else, you had no choice. Yeah. And they yeah. definitely wasn't not going to do anything. We all made the decision that we still have to move forward 
and do what we have to do. So it is what it is, but I'm looking, I'm already working on next year, January, 2022. So um, barring any lockdown there, I'm looking to get back to where we need to be. Yeah. And, and um, you know, as you said, barring any sort of real change in trajectory for how things are opening up, um, we should, we should, you know, hopefully have the, the live event next year, but for the, the, Tell us about for this year. This year, it's uh, it's pre-recorded, I think, and you're streaming it in three, four weeks. Can you give us the details? Yeah, September 12th, 2 o'clock p.m. You can see it on volume.com slash Metal Hall of Fame. That's the streaming site. Okay. And we're going to do a live event. Before that, we're going to have Eddie Trunk and Keith Roth. They're going to be the hosts. We're going to have the Dictators play and JJ French is going to be there. So kind of like a little mini celebration before the actual video induction galas. Oh, that's great. That's great. Hopefully there's going to be someone there with, if only a camera phone to take some behind the scenes footage for us. (laughs) Oh, it's going to, that's going to be streamed live too. So yeah. Okay. And I am just so happy for the first time, especially living in New Jersey, that I get to bring the Metal Hall of Fame here to New Jersey. So I am just so psyched about that. And it's our fifth anniversary. So I thought, you know what? Let's just do a fifth anniversary bash. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah, that's super cool. So um, this year, the even though it's it's pre-recorded, by the way, is the pre-recording something you did where you sort of assembled everybody and recorded it there or, or did it, did you do it a way a lot of them are done and just remote sort of acceptances and, and things like that? Well, what I did was I, I wanted to give the fans the, the best quality possible. Um, so what I did was I got a theater out in North Hollywood and we had our host, Kathy Rankin, who is just absolutely wonderful she just puts this over the top. Wait till you see this. We had a beautiful theater. So that was our main stage there. And then we kind of did the audios and videos right from there. And she introduced everybody right from the stage. So it's kind of a way of still keeping kind of the norm, even though it was, you didn't have people there, unfortunately. But we still needed that one base as opposed to doing the whole thing remote, which really is just horrendous. Like, that's what they did. You know, in whenever the last show was for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it was just horrible. And uh, unfortunately, not to slam them, but I'm just saying, I, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Good. Well, so um, we'll, put, we'll include a link to, um, to the stream, to the, to the website volume, uh, so that folks can tune in. Um, but for the, the, the lineup, I'm looking, uh, there's some amazing folks that you're inducting this year. Um, and keep me honest, but I've got uh, Don McGee, uh, Bill Alcoin. Am I saying that right? Um, Eric Carr, and Eric. Eric's the our connection uh, because Eric's sister is the one that uh, put us in touch. So yes, big Loretta. Shout out. Yeah, big shout Loretta out to Loretta. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, salt of the earth woman. Um, um, uh, Bruce Kulick, uh, Iron Maiden. So that's that's good. Uh, tell me if I'm missing on these. Paul Diamo, Diamo. Yeah, Paul Diano's great. He was the first singer in Maiden. Well, some say the second, but really the first on the first albums. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You've got Blaze Bailey, Derek Riggs, uh, Mark Weiss, Marty Friedman. I don't know if I'm missing any, but uh, this is this is an amazing induction class. Yeah. So we have we have Kiss. We have, uh, as you mentioned, 
Doc McGee, who is just one of the most unbelievable managers there is in the history of music and dare I say responsible for Motley Crue and Bon Jovi and Skid Row and you know longtime Kiss manager of course the original Kiss manager Bill Coyne who really started the whole thing it was really his brainchild which was great yeah Roman his partner is going to be accepting on his behalf because that's going to be a posthumous unfortunately um induction and uh Eric Carr everybody just loves Eric Carr and Bruce Kulick which is great. And then we have Iron Maiden, we have Striper, we have Marty Friedman, Mark Weiss, the photographer. So it's just uh, going to be a great, great show. Yeah. And you have um, in the, in the presenters that I think, and I think I pulled this from your website, you've got some pretty big guns. Tell us about some of the presenters who are going to present this. class. We have Paul Stanley doing an induction. Uh, We have Eric Singer doing an induction. Uh, we have a lot of, uh, we have Nigel Glockler from Saxon doing an induction. Uh, we have a lot of uh, major people and, and wonderful friends that are taking part. Chris Jericho, uh, the wrestler, he's going to be doing an induction. Um, Todd Latour from Queensryche. Yeah. So we have a lot of, uh, a lot of friends there and it's very, very, very exciting for sure. Yeah. Um, let me just just to kind of build the buzz a little bit more for you and tell me if I'm if I'm off on these. I see that um, you may also have D. Snyder. Um, Snyder's going to be there. Yeah, he's doing an induction. Gus G. He's be inducting Mark Weiss. Uh, we had Gus on the show just uh, a few weeks ago. I'm a huge fan Gus of G. his guitar playing. Um, that's really cool. Um, looks like you're going to have Carrie Stevens. Carrie, now, Carrie Stevens and, and Sarah Jean Bartsky, who is Eric Carr's, uh, Sarah Jean is Eric Carr's niece, so she's going to be accepting okay. on behalf of Eric Carr, as is Carrie Stevens, okay. which is great. They had a wonderful relationship. Yeah. Yeah, I just read her book, um, uh, Unrated, which is really, really revealing, not just of her time uh, with Eric, but the rest of her life. Um yeah, man, this is, uh, this is, reads like just a who's who of, of folks on both the presenting side and the in- induction side. Um, so uh, it, it's exciting, even though it's not exactly the way you wanted to present it, it's still like that stream's going to be killer. Well, yeah, and w- what I did was I figured let's do something else that's pretty special. Why not do a five-year overview since it's our fifth-year anniversary so we're including clips of inductions and performances over the past five years. So we're going to have our inductions with Judas Priest, uh, Anthrax, Bill Ward from Black Sabbath, Lizzie Hale. Um, yeah, yeah so one of Don Airy, of course, Randy Rhodes uh, with Kathy and Kelly accepting, Ronnie James Dio with Wendy inducting him. So we're going to do the five-year overview as well, which, which I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I mean, you anticipate me perfectly because one of the things I wanted to capture in this conversation for folks who may be um, less aware or unaware entirely of the Metal Hall of Fame is that in your short five-year history, um, I think you've made a, whether this was just a consequence, an organic outgrowth of, of what the Metal Hall of Fame is, or if it was by design, you've made a declaration about, you know, who, what the organization is and what it stands for um, in a number of ways, but principally in those people that you've included. 
And so you mentioned some of them, but I wanted to, to for, for our followers and, and watchers, it includes other folks like Steve Vai and Jeff Tate and Don Dawkin and Joe Satriani and Stephen Piercy. Um, uh, Dallas, yeah. acting John Zazula, which was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, Metal Church, uh, Priest and Dio uh, that we, we, we have already mentioned are, are not members in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, you've got Lemmy, um, Anvil, which I think is such a great story. I remember I was kind of unaware of them when their film came out. And then I just fell in love with um, those guys, their persistence, um, their authenticity with what they do. It's, it it kind of it, it pleased me to see their name in your list. Um, oh, thank you. I tell you, nothing rings true more than, than what they've done and what they've put up with. And so everybody, of course, just really just, has been pounding for years and decades and working so hard. And, but they've really, I think just had to kick it up a notch for sure. Yeah. I mean, they're still doing it. I think it, I mean, they were there at the beginning and they're yeah. still, they're still around. Um, even though, you know, they may not have had the commercial success of some of the bands that started at the same time. Um, they're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, and I think it's one of the, one of the reasons people love them. Uh, but just to, just to get a couple more names captured in this conversation, Jordan Rudis, who's sure. a good friend of mine, uh, is there. Um, Anthrax, um, Vinny Apsi, um, um, Lita Ford, Ross the Boss. I actually got to open for Ross the Boss at a, when I was singing for uh, a band called Air Apparent um, over at a, at a festival in Germany. That was just so amazing. Um, so that was really cool to see that. He's our global metal ambassador. When we inducted him at Wacken, well, we did Priest one year at Wacken. We did uh, Dora one year, and we did Ross one year at Wacken because we also have festival partners. We did Anthrax at Heavy Montreal, but uh, Ross is our global metal ambassador, and boy, did he just kick ass on stage there that night. Oh, you picked a good one in, in that. Um, uh, yeah. It, um, it, just a couple of other quick names: um, Jeff Pilson, Mike Portnoy, um, um, Riot. You got Rainbow Bar and Grill, which I thought was so much fun. I mean, such an epicenter for so much of the scene uh, for so long. Um, uh, and see, this is the kind of this is the kind of happy inclusion to the list that people who love and 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 breathe metal can appreciate. And it's exactly the kind of thing that the, the Rock Hall of Fame would be oblivious to, um, which, which uh, leads me to know that I, it's in good hands with you as its sort of um, figurehead and, and driving force. Um, there's more yeah. names. I'll encourage people to go and look. Uh, Billy Sheehan, who we just had on the show. Jeff Scott Soto, who we just had on the show. Like This is, this is, um, this is a very meaningful effort to try and uh, celebrate this this music and uh, you need only to read the list of people that that they're bringing into into this celebration um, to know that it's authentic. So that's enough of that. We'll point people to the rest. But I wanted to capture some of it so people knew the you know the thoughtfulness with which you approach this. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. The whole team has worked. We've worked so hard to be able to do. And you know, it's a little difficult too because some of the fans want to know. Well, how come this one's not in? Well. I'll tell you the truth, honestly, some some bands or artists just don't want an award. They just don't want to be involved. 
sometimes it's a schedule meeting, you know, schedule con uh, issue. So sometimes they can't be around when we do the gala. It's very difficult. That's why I like going to festivals and having the festival partners so that we can bring the hall to the fans as well all over the world, which is very important because it's all about them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand. I've worked in positions where um, there's a lot of sort of uh, contributing factors. And so uh, it's um, unsurprising to me that you, you have the same sort of calendaring and logistical concerns when you're putting those together, but um, you nevertheless have done a, a commendable job. I mean, I mean that it's, um, uh, it's, and obviously we'll just uh, grow year over year as people, I think, become familiar. Um, I, I wanted to ask, is it, uh, is one of the at least distinctions at this point in the evolution of the Metal Hall of Fame is that it's largely virtual versus there being also a real world counterpart for it? Yeah, well, we're working on that as well. Um, and again, you you just can't capture some of the things on videos you can in person. Like, for example, when I finally got Lee Kerslake, his platinum albums after 39 years of dealing with Sharon and Ozzy. And, uh, you know, that's one of our highlights. And I was just so happy yeah. to be able to do that for him, as we know. And I heard that on... You know, when Lee Kerslake was a guest on, on Jimmy K's show, The Metal Voice, and, and he said he had seven months to live. And I really took matters into my hands. And I said, well, I need to do something. His dying wishes to get his platinum albums for Diary of a Madman and Blizzard of Oz. Yeah. So I really put that forward. And then Sharon and Ozzy called me. And, um, you know, we had a couple go around, had to kind of figure things out because it was a little contentious there between the two parties. And, but we smoothed things out and then, and then uh, Sharon, Ozzy, and myself, we finally came to an agreement where, you know, we were able to do something. And to surprise Lee, they, uh, they sent me the plat platinum albums and I, we surprised Lee at them with them at, the, at one of the galas, which was great. So a lot of fun things happened at the gala, too, for sure, and meaningful. Yeah. Well, um, that's, a, that's a great story. I mean, I, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because uh, it, you know, this is going to sound maudlin. Pat, but it it um it is relatable because it's the it's with there's always exceptions but in in large part what you just did there is emblematic of this community um where it looks after one another uh it's it's um it's not about what you know I, yes there's some of this but it's 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 not as much about what you can do for me uh, so the fact that you kind of um went out on a limb in order to do something for meaningful for somebody. And by the way, uh, having to broker that with arguably the biggest metal God on the planet, <laughs> uh, that's no small, that's no small thing. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that story. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. And uh, it was, it was great. I'm just so glad that was all about Lee Kerslake. You know, it was all about him getting his platinum albums after 39 years of the legend. And I remember as a kid, reading about the lawsuits between Lee Kerslake and Sharon and Ozzy over royalties and going back and forth to court. And, and here I am, I wind up that, uh, not to pat myself on the back, being able to get him something. And not only that, but was his dying wish. And, yeah. and to me, that meant so much to me that I was able to do something for him that meant so much to him. And that, that was all about him for sure. Yeah. But, you know, we've done some other, you know, great things. A lot of bands have gotten signed from, from being part of the metal hall of fame. 
that might have either had a contract at one time or didn't uh, currently, but they did because somebody in the industry in the industry was in the audience and saw them. Uh, so you know, a lot of great things happen, and um, it's all part and carries through then to the other part of what we do is is with the dad program like we spoke about earlier. Yeah, I wanted actually that's a good segue because I wanted to ask you more about that. It, it um, I didn't actually see the dates, but it seems like that was. That was the uh, the the president. Like you, that was a, an organizational effort that you launched first. Is is that accurate? Before the Middle Hall of Fame. Oh yeah. So um, let's see. The Dad Program was launched in two thousand four. I went to Mayor Bloomberg and his administration. Actually, Mayor Bloomberg and his administration and the New Jersey Department of Education commissioner actually really helped me launch dad uh, as a school program. And then uh, the WWE really helped from there when we were part of WrestleMania and Raw that year, which was wonderful. And um, that just put that whole thing uh, just forward and out to the world. And, you know, the dad program, I pioneered drum therapy some years ago, and that came out of, out of a disability um, unfortunately that I had, um, originally doctors thought I had cerebral palsy. I tried to speak at four years old and I couldn't, um, I had no fine motor skills, no coordination. I had braces on my legs from my ankles to my knees. Cause I had issues with walking and I was also severely dyslexic. So I couldn't read or write, oh, wow. but at the same time, I wanted to be a drummer and play the drums, but it, teachers just couldn't help me. So I had to develop a way in which I was able to teach myself. And I mean, I, I couldn't even coordinate my hands to do this. Like it was literally this slow, you know? Yeah. Uh, it took me one full year practicing three hours a day to be able to coordinate my left hand and my left foot to come down at one time together. Um, imagine trying that for three hours a day for one year and then finally being able to, you know, to coordinate that. So to make a long story short, by the time I was in junior high, I'd beaten all my disabilities 100% because the repeated exposure to the rhythms and patterns of drumming retrained the synapses in my brain. And that's what, and I didn't know it at the time that I'd be pioneering drum therapy, but that's how the whole thing started. So then, um, I guess, long story short, when I, uh, by the time I graduated college, I was doing a lot of major music uh, gigs and studio stuff and playing the drums for artists and bands and record companies and tours and all kinds of stuff. But uh, I was also very much involved in education and the way in which I could help people through drumming and drum education. So then that's really how the whole thing started. And that's really when I launched dad drums and disabilities as an official 501 C three nonprofit. And then that's when I went to mayor Bloomberg and his administration and, and then from there, I mean, we've done a lot of a lot of great things with the dad program. I uh, work very closely with um, a lot of celebrity sports stars and politicians that have helped us. We've done a lot of major things. Um, I train and we're the only ones. I'm the only one really that can certify somebody as a drum therapist. So I have doctors, psychologists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, behavioral therapists, teachers in over 15 countries that use the dad program to help children and adults with autism, Tourette's, MS, cerebral palsy, Down syndrome, a wide variety of disabilities 
that helps them develop retention, coordination, fine motor skills, and physical and cognitive functioning. And that's really kind of how the whole thing started. That's, uh, that's fascinating. I, I remember in college, uh, I was in a band with a drummer who later, later stole money from me. Thus underscoring my drummers, uh, I, I may have mentioned before, the drummers and I uh, always seem to not 100% align. But he did uh, introduce me to this idea that, that um, and this is many years ago now, of, of um, percussion being a, a, a retention tool, memory retention tool. And so when I saw your, your program, even though I wasn't, I wasn't familiar with it, it kind of made sense to me. And hearing you talk about um, drumming as a way, like you would, you would anticipate that it could be something that could help you with motor skills because spending time on coordination, while not easy, um, like it, it seems a, a, a reasonable or logical conclusion or, or extension or possibility. But the, the, to, to, to go a step further and to build a program that, that helps cognitive function is really remarkable. Um, um, I, I, you know, I, you could probably spend an hour just on that, but is it, can you tell us anything about that? that? What is the mechanism that, that whereby drum action is helping cognitive function in, in some of the people with these disabilities? Uh, yeah. Well, it's, if you think about it, right, it all comes from the brain. That's where everything has to start. And that kind of obviously is the main mechanism for operating the whole body. So if you think about it, the brain really needs to be in perfect sync. And unfortunately, and this even happens with uh, wounded troops that might need to assimilate to prosthetic devices. Unfortunately, those neural pathways need to be developed. Mm -hmm. So that can happen physically, you know, and uh, which then builds the cognitive functioning as well as physical. And they all have to work in tandem together at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I make, that makes sense to me. Um, I, you know, I have to believe that part of that is, is you know, remaining focused, you know, um, the way you would have to, you know, any drummer in order to keep time it has to have a certain, and then as you introduce, you know, uh, polyrhythms and, and multiple appendages doing those things, um, I can see where building the, the, the cognitive pathways to do those things and building on those with different kinds of rhythms and tempo um, you could sort of build the cognitive muscle that would, that could be transferable to, you know, a, a, applying that thinking and that, th that uh, focus in other ways. Uh, I think that's not just fascinating. I think it's, um, really commendable. Uh, how, how did you, uh, I heard you say that you, that you have this now in 15 countries. Do I have that right? Program is in over 15 countries where, as I mentioned, I trained psychologists and teachers and occupational therapists, physical therapists, um, all kinds of special needs teachers and specialists yeah. and some drummers too. You don't have to be a drummer to become a drum therapist. And, but you know, it also helps on the behavioral aspect. We've had kids and uh, young adults, for example, we've done many studies around the world. We had one group in London with our drum therapist in London who, um, you know, had several students that were cutting, they were self-mutilating, they were teenagers. And within, I guess, four months of doing drum therapy, they stopped the self-mutilation. They, their school grades increased hundred percent. 
their uh, school attendance increased 100%. So we have some great studies that we've done that show how much this really helps. That's amazing. Yeah, that um, so cool. And you can even imagine at the very, just as a, an introduction, because, you know, I'm sh- there's a plethora of, of behavioral and cognitive and, and um, physical therapies out there. But there's there what you at the very beginning of that journey, what's really kind of cool to me. And this is an outsider. So you can tell me if this is not it. But putting a pair of drumsticks in somebody's hand has to be like it's it's so approachable and, and actually has this has a I would think and I'm not even a drummer but has this this feeling of of doing something fun and and exciting so so there's there would be an eagerness to apply the technique where with others there might be resistance is that am i making that up or is that a real thing no 100% they've all loved it and when i first do a class of course uh, one of the things that i i make sure and it's not because i'm being narcissistic but i'm the only one that does the training for our therapists, because it's got to be done way. When you're working with retraining the synapses in the brain, it has to be done a, a very certain specific way. And of course, doing it for myself, I mean, that's how the whole thing works. So I know by inside and out, you know, how to do it and how to be effective. Um, so the one thing I tell the, the drum therapists is, yeah, when you first put the drumsticks in a person's hand, you show them how to hold the sticks. And then from there, you want to start as soon as possible going through some rhythms and patterns and they just love it. You know, the participants just absolutely love it a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, that, um, I, I, without even seeing it, I believe that's true. Oh, it's a lot of fun. You know, uh, I've, I've been, uh, on the receiving end of drumsticks thrown from drummers. And, uh, as soon as you get in your hand, you just want to start using it, even if you don't really understand how, um, so, and, and, you know, I mean, we shouldn't overlook the fact uh, or do short shrift to your story, uh, the, uh, you know, journey that you took where you had certain disadvantages that you overcame uh, in this way, uh, but you took it further than that. You could very well have just decided, cool, I've done this. I'm going to just go be in rock bands and that'll be cool for me. Um, you paid it forward. Uh, that wasn't a you know, it wasn't incumbent on you to do that. Uh, I think it's it's cool that you've institutionalized an approach that can help others from this, from the journey you've been on. Um, Thank you. Yeah. How, how could I not? I mean, I'm so fortunate and I'm, I'm so grateful to return what I'm so fortunate to have received to begin with. Cause I'll tell you, if it wasn't for the love and support of my family and a very few special teachers, I don't know where I'd be today. And, uh, but how could I not? I mean, when you go through the things that I went through and to be able to come out on the other side of that 100%, okay, and have everything removed 100%, uh, any disability, and they were so severe, that shame on me if I didn't do something to help somebody else with that, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and that story all by itself um, again, not to lapse modeling, but it, it is, uh, it's a hopeful story. Um, and I think it's, I think it's a beautiful counterpart to your later efforts with the, the hall of the, the metal hall of fame. Um, because there's, there's sort of a, yes, it's thrilling 
and there's the the grind and the the mosh pits and all the stuff that we love and celebrate uh, you know that has all the energy and enthusiasm but there is also for a, a large part of the community this um this care um this interest in one another like when i was going in my covid days as i as i mentioned up front i think it was more of a mental thing i couldn't go places i don't usually but there was this like mental barrier because I knew I couldn't. And so there was some fatigue. So I started to get together. The only, the only socializing I did other than family was a couple of metal friends. We'd get together in a huge parking lot where we couldn't be around anybody. And uh, we just play each other tunes from our car stereos and talk about concerts and, and music and bands. And um, that, was, that was a mental and emotional health that came because of a shared passion. And um, you, back to my point, I think what you've done with the Metal Hall of Fame is to create a touch point for that, for us. And to me, it families together really well with this journey you went through where you you overcame something and then shared it uh, as a way to sort of, you know, enable others. And, And to be honest, when I think about metal, I was saying this to somebody the other day. One of the cool things about metal is it, it makes you feel powerful. You listen to it and you, you feel powerful when you listen to the music. You feel other things too, but it's one of those musics that kind of can give you a, a sense of determination and boldness. And it, it, the same has to be true for people who work through these physical challenges from your program. So, I mean, that's the, so that's the connection I was drawing there. Um, yeah, and, and whatever I do, whether I'm on tour as a drummer or in the studio or with the Metal Hall of Fame, the dad program goes with me everywhere, for sure. So we'll put a, a, a link to that as well, because I know there's a separate web presence for it. Um, Thank you. In our last few minutes, let me um, let me get your, your thoughts on some things. So we all know that other than certain markets with certain stations, that largely domestically, metal's not the thing on the radio. Um, uh, you can find, you know, often though, I would say when you find it on the radio, it's classic stuff. It is the 80s stuff. I, the, you know, I, uh, my, my hometown that I come from, I go back there and it is as though I've not been away for 20 years. It's the same radio rotation. And I love it because I love the music. But the, the point I'm making is that um, domestically, while there's great new bands for sure, uh, this is not the place where they're getting on the radio um, or even having the most success with festivals and tours, it seems to me that metal is much more vibrant outside the United States. Is that is that a sound? Does that ring true to you? Yeah, it does, and it is. You look at Europe. I mean, it's just such an important part of their culture too, as it is here. But it's it's. I'm not going to say quite mainstream, but there is more of a presence. Yeah. in other yeah. countries than here and that's unfortunate but uh, that it's not here i wish we were like the other countries but uh through the metal hall of fame that's one of our missions is to make sure that we're doing that and i've launched chapters throughout the country and around the world to be able to bring you know metal back where everybody can get together once a week or once a month at a club and we get to support some of the local bands and we you know work with um some of the record companies to be able to to give us um, some of the releases before they come out to the rest of the world so we could do record release parties and just a place for gathering for metalheads 
on a routine basis and have a nightclub or a, a location involved with that. And that's what we need, yeah. not only here, yeah. but everywhere throughout the world. Yeah, that's a that's an exciting program. I like the idea of, uh, you know, regular meeting places to um, create awareness for some of the music uh, that's that's still being made. Some of it's new bands. Some of it's some of people don't know that the bands they have loved from years ago are still making new records. Um, so I like it. I uh, do, is there? A, I live in Seattle. Is there a chapter of that in Seattle? Not yet. No, we've launched in. Well, as soon as I announced it, it was crazy. Uh, I'm grateful for that. We launched in Greece, Italy, uh, about 13 states here in the country so far in the U.S. Um, but no, okay. if you know anybody or yourself, just let me know. I will. Yeah, I have to think about that. That's because uh, I like that idea a lot. I um, sometimes it's just letting people know because one of the things that the community is pretty good about is sharing. Um, so, you know, word of mouth uh, could be really meaningful for a lot of these bands, even if they can't get playlist inclusion. And, um, you know, if there's not an, a, an outlet in their market or their region uh, for, through radio. And uh, it's so hard, especially nowadays. Yeah, it really is. Well, and, and this is the larger question I wanted to ask you, uh, close as you are to the genre. Is it, it, how would you describe the health of metal right now? Well, I guess that depends where you look. If you look at the United States, you're looking nationally, globally, locally. Um, I think the genre has segmented somewhat, which I guess is okay. You know, you, you have so many more different genres now yeah. of metal, which is okay. Yeah. I think that's exciting too. But overall, I think it's okay. I think it's harder now for some bands to keep going. I don't know, just mean because of COVID, but I mean, just because of the industry, the way there is. And, and thankfully for some of the festivals that are popping up, that's really helping to keep it going. Yeah. But boy, I tell you, it's, uh, it's, it can be a tough thing. Yeah. You know, the, what my, my subtext on this question is that, um, I think it was this, this January, uh, one of my, one of my favorite power metal bands is Nightwish. And, oh, um, yeah, they're big actually I'm trying to get them to induct that? them. You say that again. I'm trying to get to induct them. I'm trying to get them to be inducted. Oh yeah. That they would be amazing. Of course. Um, and I, I, I've been friends with Thomas for a while now and, um, to a lesser degree, a few of the band members. And in January, Marco, who's there, uh, was their bass player and a strong presence as a vocalist in the group quit. And, um, you know, he, he was very clear that this isn't about differences with Thomas or any of that. There was some self-reflection as a consequence of COVID and, and time to think about, you know, his place. But one of the primary factors he, he lists there was the economics of it. And, and, oh. and you're talking Ooh. about Nightwish. Now, Nightwish is not Metallica or Iron Maiden. But when you get outside that sort of AAA class band that's just kind of cultural consciousness... There's a strata of band that is globally amazing. Like when when uh, Nightwish did their virtual concert, they sold like 150,000 tickets, you know, to, and twice. So like this is a big band globally, and they've got a member who's like, yeah, I I can't make this work financially anymore. Like that's a problem 
That's a real problem. Huge problem. But even for the festivals, look at the business side of things, since I'm involved in that as well. It's also very difficult now. And I'm not talking about COVID, even pre-COVID era. And it's going to be interesting to see when we come out of COVID what happens. But it's very hard because it's so expensive. And I'm not talking about the Rolling Stones charging $300 you know, a ticket, 400, 500, 600, a ticket, which is ridiculous in and of itself. But just for a smaller rock band or metal band, just to go on tour and do it, it's it's becoming more and more just impossible. And even speaking with many of the festival owners that I know, they're just like, it's just becoming so much more difficult to put the shows on. It really is. Yeah. It's almost unattainable. Well, And even though there's a lot of people Right. Some of the 40,000 of heavy Montreal, 80,000 of Bakken. It's still very, very hard to operate at that level. Yeah. I, um, uh, the economics of it are, they confound me. Um, you know, I, uh, I've toured a couple of times fronting eighties metal groups from this area into Europe. And we played a, a festival with two different bands at two, two different times. I played uh, a festival called keep it true. And they kind of, it's in uh, Germany, and they kind of specialize in bands from yesteryear. They, they don't usually have current bands come through there. And, um, you know, I know what we got paid. And we were, I, I sang for a band called Fifth Angel uh, at that festival. We were the headliners. And I know we got paid. And the, and the festival had uh, and two full days. There must have been, I don't know, 25 acts. I don't know how they make it work. I honestly don't know how they make it work. And um, so, you know, and you think about Vakken, I know they got a lot more people, but they've also got this huge, huge talent pool. And those artist fees are not cheap. And and by the way, I, I, artists should get paid. My point is only that just putting your payroll together um, um, would it seems to me would make that a really, really tough thing to do. Um, so my, I'm I, you know, I, I'm not saying anything new, but I, I, I applaud the, the Vakken organizers sounds like, you know, those guys for being able to put that on every year, because that's gotta be just amazing fiscal management. <laughs> oh, it's monstrous. The same thing with heavy Montreal. I mean, it's just, and bloodstock. I mean, they're all just it, but it's harder for everybody all across, all across the globe. It's just becoming more difficult financially. And it's like, you never mind now, including COVID into the conversation, what the hell happens now? Yeah. Because that just decimated everybody. Well, and uh, you know, um, I, not to, I'm not going to be political, but I will make a statement of fact, and that is that, um, I, for instance, I I purchased. I'm a, my all time favorite band is Dream Theater. I'm really good friends with those guys, um, and they are coming through tour here on their their um, top of the world tour, and I got a ticket, and um, I, then I uh, subsequently got a an email from the Seattle Theater Group, which is that manages all the theaters in the Seattle area, or at least most of them. And it was the, you must be vaccinated email. And, yeah. Um, I'm not like, I, I, I got my shot. Um, I, I respect everybody's right to make a decision on whether they want a shot or not. I, I don't believe in authoritarianism of any kind, but regardless of where you fall on that, what it does mean is there will be people who won't go um, to that show. And so it makes me wonder you know, some of these touring bands, are they going to find some segment of their audience that love them, but that won't be there because of the policies? 
and how will this affect um, how will this affect tours and festivals? I don't know. I, um, but I know that this is not an isolated thing uh, for live events to start mandating um, vaccination. I don't know. Have, have you heard yeah, anything live, like that? Yeah, well, AEG and Live Nation, two of the biggest uh, you know, tour production companies uh, have just, and even though AEG owns some smaller venues, but Live Nation really owns a lot of them, uh, it just makes it even more difficult because people might just even be afraid, even though they are vaccinated. How many people you know are going to show up at a concert? And now there's certain things that the promoters are putting in place that the bands are going to be responsible for covering their own fees if people don't show up, as opposed to getting money back from the from the promoters, promoters like we're not going to be responsible. And you know, if you go out to, if your tour is going to cost you three, four, five million, and you're only making, you know, eight hundred, nine hundred, a million, don't come looking at us. Yeah, I. It is one of the things I I saw come down the pike is that um, a lot of the venues were starting to um, walk back from guarantees, you know. So bands were yeah. um, like, ah, you know, I don't know if we can play that show because. If something happens and enough people don't come out, we can't have done the show for a hundred dollars. Sorry, it's not. Well, at that point, my response to that is, then, if you want to do it, don't worry about going out and making two, three million a show. Lower the cost so everybody can do it. And I know there've been some artists that want to do that. There's some artists that are just not even going to even contemplate thinking that. Yeah. But, but that's, that's all part of it, especially nowadays. I mean, what are we going to do? You know, you, you can't demand the high ticket prices anymore. Uh, the insurance now has also uh, gone off the charts because the venue owners are now worried about, well, are they going to get sued if somebody gets COVID, which is a real thing, just like restaurants yeah. or other businesses. Yeah, it's exactly right. I, I the, the group that I, my group, I, um, I was for a short time represented by WME and we did a, a, a short run and they it, it just hadn't occurred to me. And they said, you need to go get event insurance. I said, okay. So I went and did, I think I got the whole thing for like 250 bucks. Um, and then I start, started to see some rumblings, like the amount of money you'd have to spend for insurance now, because the possibility someone might come back and say, I got COVID at your venue is um, it's prohibitive. Like there's, some bands just couldn't even afford to do it. Um, right. Exactly. Or some venues or some restaurants. It's a whole thing. I mean, now when you look at it, again, it doesn't matter whether somebody's Republican or Democrat. You look at New York now, where they're mandated, they're the first city and the first state in the country to say, you need proof before you come in to do things. And it's like when you eat at a restaurant, uh, whether you go to a gym, whether you go to an entertainment venue, a concert um, hall, whatever it is, wherever you go, whatever you do, it's incumbent upon those people to make sure their patrons have a card. And if they don't, then they can get fined. Yeah. But then you look at it and it's like, well, you know, what are we going to do? We turn so many people away if they want to come and they're not vaccinated. That's yeah. another issue. Yeah. Now, now they're putting seven year, I think the mandatory is seven years imprisonment if you're found faking any type of um, ID card. 
Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, that's just that was just announced. Well, I mean, the, the thing you said earlier that really kind of struck a chord in me is, you know, there's there's increase and I, I'm not a scientist and I don't know all the data, uh, but I have read a, a significant number of articles that talk about these breakthrough cases. So the scenario is even if you require a vaccination and the person has a vaccination, they could still walk into a crowd of people symptomatic and spread the disease or the, 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 the COVID yeah. um, in which case even, even a, a vaccine mandate might not protect you from a lawsuit. Uh, so these are, it's a, in my lifetime, it's a very unprecedented problem. Um, and I, I, I worry, I worry for how this gets solved. Um, um, I don't know. You're closer probably to far more touring bands. What are you hearing about this? Yeah. As far as the, as far as the bands going into the venues. Yeah. And I mean, are they, are, 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 are bands of a mind that, um, you know, just bring the people in or bands are, are bands like fully kind of behind this mandate or is it oh, just kind of even with the mandate i know so many major artists that are afraid to do anything yeah i think it's going to be another couple of years unfortunately i mean i know new zealand was it new zealand i think it was that had one case and they the other day they locked down the entire country i know now japan with the olympics is completely locked down again so there are bands i know stevie nicks just canceled her tour so i i think that a lot of people are just, are, well, I know for a fact that they're afraid. A lot of major artists, especially that they're older, yeah. are afraid. And yeah. even if there are many younger bands that are still afraid too, and they're like, well, I think I'm going to wait another year before we see what happens. I'm of the mindset, and especially doing the gala, yeah. I think that society still needs to go on. I know, I know for a fact, it's being politicized. Yeah. That's not yeah. to say that it's not real. Of course it's real. If I got it, it'd probably kill me because I have asthma. Mm. So I believe it's real, but I also believe that it's being politicized, uh, unfortunately. And uh, and it really is. When you look at some of the things that are going on, now you look at, and again, whether somebody's Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. You look at the New Jersey governor here who says, well, you know, you can't go to, you can't go to Europe, you can't fly, whatever. Then he turns around and takes his family on a vacation to his 23 room mansion in Italy. Yeah. yeah. It makes no sense. It's like, what the hell are you doing? And you see so many people, and again, it doesn't matter what's Republican or Democrat. So I think that, that there's a part of, of politicians that are just, and it's just so divisive right now too, which is a whole other story, but it's just insane. And I think that's all part of it. And it's a shame because to be able to say that you can't go into a restaurant um, or to force me, see, I can't get a vaccine because my, because I have asthma, so I'm compromised, right? Mm -hmm. so, for, for, so for you to say that I can't go into a place, well, that's really not fair to me. What the hell am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, if I'm gonna get it, let that be on me. If, yeah. You know, if somebody's vaccinated, okay, fine. And, and like you said, I truly believe that people have the right to get a vaccine or not. And I have no problem with that. But then you go the other route, the extreme route of having kids wear masks at school. And then you have a whole psychology part behind this that's just absolutely not right. 
So the whole thing is just out of whack, but hopefully in a year or so, it's just going to solve itself and we'll be out of this whole mess. Yeah, I, I hope so. I, I think that what we haven't, can't fully weigh yet is the, the consequence, the, the unintended consequences of the lockdown. Um, I mean, what we do know is that suicide rates are up, depression in kids is up, um, you know, and, uh, and I'm not trying to politicize this. I'm not saying they shouldn't have, have been cautious, but what, but, but, but choices have consequences and the choices of lockdowns and, and masks and all of that, um, they will have consequences. Many, maybe the good outweighs the bad, but, um, one of the things that's true to bring it back to our conversation around metal and its community and this, this woman who's published paper, and there's many anthropologists who study the metal culture but I've spoken with one is that this um, the, the relationship that, that, that people in the metal community share. And again, there's always an exception that proves the rule, but, but by and large, and regardless of the bands that you choose as your favorites is a, is a meaningful part of their mental and emotional health. And so when you take that away, there's a consequence when you, when, and I felt this with my own metal community, when you can no longer participate in these activities that, that create your sense of belonging and, and a shared, shared experiences, there is absolutely a downstream mental and emotional, and I would argue even spiritual, deficit uh, that, that you're going to, to carry. Um, now, should, I'm not saying that that should uh, outweigh other choices, um, but I think, I think we are a little blithe about... Um, some of the non-physical um, wounds that we will bear as a consequence of this time. And it's why I'm eager. That's why I keep asking you, you know, since your, your pulse, you have the finger on the pulse. I'm eager for, for bands to be back out on the road because there's the side that is they need to get paid because so much of their revenue now is touring and merchandise. And their fans need to be able to gather. I mean, it's a real thing. Um, so yeah, my fingers are crossed that these various, the variants and all this stuff we're hearing um, are managed, but that they don't create, um, you know, a furtherance of, of, um, of political division and, and weaponization of this such that um, mental health and other kinds of health suffer. Um, yeah. That's my soapbox. And the first, <laughs> yeah, no, but you're right. And the first thing that goes is, is entertainment, the ability to do things. It's just insane. I think, I think it's New Zealand too, that they won't allow you. They've actually mandated that you, that, that you can't have sex with somebody. If you're outside drinking alcohol and you take off your mask, you get fined. I mean, that's the extent that this has gone to, you know, that, that should never happen with the black plague. I got to tell you, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I had not heard the, the sex prohibition. That's, that's Twilight Zone stuff there, Pat. How's that happen? Yeah. And it's true. And drinking wine. If you drink wine and remove your mask, uh, alcohol, in public, you get a fine in New Zealand. I guess the upside would be maybe there's a new job, the, the sex police. <laughs> Somebody policing whether or not you're having intercourse. It's crazy. I, I know. I have to make a joke because that just seems like... It's so ridiculous you have to. But hopefully we're all going to get back to normal. And the metal community is strong. We are a strong family. 
Yeah. And we will overcome this for sure. hundred percent. I have one question around that community. So there's, uh, I noticed on your, your website, um, uh, you have a delineation of a number of these subgenres, uh, which are real. And uh, there are metal fans who like one or some of them. Um, I, there are some metal fans who just like it all, but I think that that's more rare. It, is it, um, I know that there are, there are labels like Frontiers who seem to uh, help continue a certain kind of sonic metal experience that reached its zenith in the late 80s and early 90s. And there are Absolutely. other metal metal labels like Napalm that do you know more power metal and some of the more uh, aggressive stuff. I wonder, do you see? Uh, is would you have a perception that there is an, an one of the ways that these subgenres seem to um, flow is by age, or is that a is that an artificial reading on my part? By age of the artist or the consumer? The consumer. Because uh, I guess it's also the artist too, right? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all getting up there. Um, yeah, you find more. Well, did you see the Miley Cyrus did a did a Metallica cover? I heard about it, but I haven't seen it. I I heard it on, and I didn't think I was even reading it right. On it was uh, Ozzy's Boneyard, and it said Miley Cyrus, and I'm like, wait, what? Am I reading? Am I seeing this right on the thing? And yeah, so it's like you find people not even younger, but in different genres. Yeah. Lady Gaga, um, Miley. Uh, you look at the younger kids more and more, or I would say following their parents' footsteps, because I believe that at the younger age, that's when we need to grab the that's when we need to grab the attention of the audience at a younger age. So yeah, and we really bring that into focus for them and so many kids i mean how many kids at a concert have you seen that know the song they're like five years old six seven eight ten years old and they're there with their parents i mean that's pretty cool so yeah and and hopefully that's going to continue to grow and that's a mission of ours yeah at the metal is, is to continue keeping hard rock and metal alive for generations to come let me ask you is this this tell me if this is a cynical metalhead reading of of a cover by a pop artist that is a Metallica um, because Metallica arguably is a crossover artist with the black album. I think they, they expanded far beyond their, their, their large cult following. Um, and the same would be true with disturbed and some of these other bands. So when we see a pop artist do a metal cover, would we be more impressed if it was a deep cut or an, a, an artist that wasn't, at the very top of all metal, like it almost seems like a cliche to cover Metallica. Am I, is that too cynical? You can call that's, me on it. That's if I... an awesome question, actually. <laughs> because then it goes to, well, you have to think about, well, what I think about the business-wise is the artist doing it just to grab attention from another market and use one of the more popular tunes, yeah. right? So, um, And to create bona fides. Like, oh, look at me, I'm metal. I did a Metallica cover. Yeah, right. I don't I, like right. I, I can acknowledge this might be cynical as a metalhead, but like she didn't choose uh, a band that she didn't choose Nightwish. She didn't choose a, a, a popular but deeper. She chose the one band that has even globally probably has more um, consumer consciousness than Iron Maiden. So it could be she loves Metallica. 
Um, and if she ever hears this, I hope she understands the spirit of it. Um, but I, I uh, same thing with Lady Gaga. They say, well, she's truly metal. Th- that could be true. But I've never seen uh, one of these artists do anthrax, <laughs> you know, or, uh, you know, any number of bands that, that are so, sort of deeper inside the culture. So it makes me question yeah. whether they really are metal or if they're just trying right. to grab headlines. And even a metal band covering another metal band or a rock band. For example, you look at Metallica doing I'm a Blind Man, right? Yeah. I mean, wow, really? That's really deep. For sure, because many people know that too. No, you you make a good point. Well, I was I talked with a guy by the name of Nathan James, who um, his band's called Inglorious. He's he's British, um, and he sang with Transylvania Orchestra for a few tours, and he they're just about through Frontiers to release a record of all covers. Uh, I forget the name of the 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 record, but it and the choice they made was to do all covers by female pop artists or 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 female voices. But when he did a Miley Cyrus cover, <laughs> he covered yeah, her, right, exactly. one of her tunes. Yeah, and it's nice to see them do it. Like I said, like you know, Metallica doing "When a Blind Man Cries." I mean, I think that's awesome. You find other bands um, going deeper into the catalogs, yeah. and I just had a conversation yesterday on another uh, on another uh, show where they were even talking about Deep Purple because I'm a huge Deep Purple fan. Oh yeah, and. Uh, and we got onto a discussion of that, and they're like, "Well, which you know, which lineup do you like better, Coverdale, Gillen, the first one?" I said, "I oh, love all of them up to like Mark III. And, uh, and and you find that, and I think that's good too, though, because I think that that also helps support metal. As crazy as it sounds, when you have a Lady Gaga doing something up there with Metallica, right? Does does that help us, um, or does that hurt us? That's another question to ask, though, right? Yeah. Uh, Metal fans seeing that, like, for example, if we were to invite Lady Gaga <laughs> to come and play with Metallica, I think every fan that was at our gal would probably kill me <laughs> for sure, you know. But then, but what about all those kids that love Lady Gaga and like, wow, who's Metallica? And then maybe they all steer that. This is really kind of cool. It's a different style of music that I like. Yeah. So I guess it's, you know, it's really both sides. Yeah. No, you make a good point. I think. That's why I, I um I don't I don't really grind that axe. I, I'm not really that cynical because I think if popular artists, um, even if their their sort of metal allegiance is only so deep, that invoking the name may get some people to go look at the black album. And if they do, there's a good likelihood they're gonna there's several cuts on that record they're gonna like. And that might be gateway, you know. So uh, I'm you know, I'm not um you know, I'm not against it at all. I, I, I think it's it's healthy. But I had to kind of provocatively ask the question and, and get your thoughts about it. Um, I guess it's pretty cool if you think about it, right? That you have pop artists doing Metallica and they're supposed to be really true fans. Let's hope they are. Let's hope they're not doing it just as a promotional stunt, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, I don't think they're blind to the PR that it gets them. And I do think it helps them sort of establish some sort of edge and credibility uh, that they might not otherwise have had. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they don't really dig those songs. I think I, you know, I can believe that's a hundred percent true. Um, uh, but this leads me to a really important question. I think I did a, I, the, the, the show that I've alluded to with the anthropologist, 
Um, one of the things I said there, and I think I said it as a preface to our conversation, is that I believe that the music is important enough and powerful enough that it deserves a broader audience. Um, but there is, and there are, and I got kind of questioned about this, um, was most metal fans don't want that. They, they, they want it to remain theirs. And I wondered, I wanted your thoughts about this because I like the idea that the music I love might be loved by more people. One, because I think the artist deserves to make more money and have more songs played and, and enjoy a wider fan base. And two, because I think the music is genuinely good. I don't think it's only good because I understand it. And I'm not quite that conceited. Um, but there, there is some members of the metal community by this question that seem to not really want it to become more popularized. You're close to this because you work with some of these bands. What's your read on this? Yeah, I think that keeping metal underground, I think a lot of fans look at the sellout factor. And I think Metallica actually went through that at one point, right? If I'm not mistaken. And uh, so it can be kind of tricky. I think that metal fans like to have something their own. And I think that that uh, they look at the outside world, like, don't you intrude in our world, this is ours. But at the same time, I mean, I really miss turning on the radio and not hearing a, a, a metal band. I mean, I really do, or a hard rock band, like we used to back in the 80s. I mean, I just, I just miss the 80s so much, but, you know, it is what it is now. Um, but metalheads are just that way, you know, they're like that about a lot of things. and. Yeah. It is, it is a family-oriented kind of uh, mentality, for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that there's a, an answer to the, to the question, because I, I appreciate the idea that I think undergirds the question uh, or, the, or the response about, well, 70% of, this is what the person said, is 70% of metal fans wouldn't want it to get any bigger. And I, I can appreciate like the, 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 what I think is the idea behind that, which is uh, it would somehow dilute it, um, the, the artist might feel compelled to write towards an audience that is not authentically metal uh, in order to satisfy those people. There's all sort of problems that could crop up. Um, but it doesn't, and I, and spiritually I agree with all of that, but the problem of it to me is you and I have just talked about the, the fiscal challenges um, of all music, but metal suffers this because it doesn't have um, the, the other, right? So, so then how do you, it's hard to reconcile like some fans, not all, but some fans wanting to hold it close and only for the purists um, when the bands that they love desperately need more listeners so that they can keep doing their art like that. It, that's a really challenging contradiction. Do you find that true? Yeah, I, I do. But the other point of it is, I think the fans aren't looking at it from the financial aspect that the band is or the financial matters of the band. So they just want what they want as a fan. And I guess I get that. Yeah. So when you, but to have to look at the bigger picture, it's like, yeah, we really need more listeners. We need more venues. We need, we need more opportunities and they're just not there. It's just a, it's just, I guess it's just a, uh, maybe it's because I'm also a musician, but it's, it's a perspective that I just don't understand because yeah. if I love a band and I love their music, it doesn't make me love it less because someone else loves it too. Um, the idea that it somehow um, loses its allure for me because other people like it 
seems the to metal, be yeah the metal fans are the metal community is extremely fickle and believe me when i tell you even if i do some things here or there with some bands or wanting to induct people man they're right on it no it's you know so <laughs> no and you know i get that once in a while too you know something that i think myself at the board that things are a real maybe it's too much of a hard rock not so much glam i get that 100 percent. i'm not going to name any bands <laughs> i don't want to get in trouble on that but because i'm like you know i'll be getting that whole you know thing but but um but i get it i mean and so a uh, perfect example so many fans have written me and told me when they see me in public whatever well don't you dare include any hair metal bands in the metal hall of fame uh, there's so many oh it's crazy wow yeah i hadn't thought so about they, that like that segments it even more your question right never mind the rest of the world even within our own genre if you're looking at hair metal bands and it's like well don't you dare do this one or don't you dare do that one it's like wow man it really is yeah. really is hardcore you know fan base and and good for them because they they just love the music so much sure yeah it's I, it's a delicate position you and your border in because um while while i can understand the you know, people being wanting to stay focused on what they consider pure metal or metal that that you know speaks to a certain sort of um, in, you know in crowd. It's hard to ignore some of those big bands, the big metal bands that we now call hair bands. Like, um, you know, how do you ignore White Snake? Yeah, right. Exactly. You know? how, how can you? Uh, that's a that's a boy. That's a I'm glad that's you, not me. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's, it's all good. I, I, I it's, a, it's a thorny problem worth having to noodle over. Um, well, man, you've, you've been generous with your time. I'm going to let you go, but it's been delightful to talk to you. Uh, I'm so, I'm so happy for uh, all the things you're doing, the, the, your drum therapy program, um, the, the metal hall of fame, our, you know, on a personal note, you're also a drummer. So you are you making music too? Is there time for that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I've done a lot of projects. Um, I've worked with guys from, you know, Symphony X and Purple and all kinds of different projects, but it's a little harder now. I mean, the last gala um, we did, I played with, um, I played with Steve I and Joe Satriani and Chris Poland and Jeff Tate. We did an all-star jam there and that was cool. It um, and that'll also people will be able to see that on the on the stream uh, for the gala. But um, yeah, it's just hard. Well, you know, as a musician too. How about let me kick that back to you? How about you? How what's going on with you? Oh, I um, the last record I wrote was very much in sort of a trance Siberian orchestra. It was a big um, rock opera, and I had actually had a couple of the Dream Theater guys. The, the, I'm good friends with those dudes. So James Labrie sang on it. Um, Jordan Rudess played on it. Um, I had uh, I had a bunch of former TSO members who um, uh, who sang on the record, and I actually got picked up by WME, uh, and we had a short run, um, and then I I ran smack dab into politics, the uh, uh, music politics, uh, so I lost my agency. I'll tell you that story offline, <laughs> but um, so I I've been uh, looking for new representation for that. And then I've started to write another uh, another record um, that is uh, not a holiday record, um, probably still narratively driven because I love music that's that's got some narr narrative behind it. 
um, love concept records. I, I'm a huge fan of Tate and um, you know Mind Crime and and um, the work that, that he's done there. Uh, but yeah, so I I but to I mean maybe part of your question is um, balancing that against trying to have important what I think and this is a selfish observation, but important conversations like the one we're having um, for the show, um, making enough money to pay my mortgage, but all of that stuff is a, that's a, it's, it's hard and COVID hasn't made it easier. Um, yeah, not for any of us for sure. So yeah, I, uh, like you, I, I kind of balance it. It's, um, and, and it's one of the reasons I have these conversations, like as much as I feel like I may understand about it all, uh, it's changing and I'm trying to keep learning, um, in service of my own music because if gun to head, like the thing I want to do is go be a musician. Um, but until hopefully that day arrives where that's how I subsist, I want to do things that help me participate in the community. Um, all of which can bring me back to a, 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 my gratitude to you. Um, I'm happy Loretta put us in touch uh, so that um, you know, we could bring to light uh, a little bit more the efforts that you, you know, have with music um, I think it's really cool. I'm, I'm very happy to have made your acquaintance. Oh, and thank you so much. I, it's such an honor to be on the show and I can't thank you enough. Yeah. Yeah, man. We'll, we'll stay in touch. I'm, I'm hoping uh, that this gala um, happens in, in, it's in California, going to be in California in January. Is that the plan? January 19th. Yep. 2022. Um, I'll have to see if there's a way that I can finagle a seat. I think that'd be fun to come, come see that. Uh, if you want to come, just let me know. But uh, hopefully you're going to be there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not this not so far. I'm just down the coast for me. Um, well, uh, Pat, let me let me play the outro here. If you'll just stick on for one second so I can say a personal goodbye. Um, but in the, in the meantime, thank you for all you do. It's uh, um, it's it's I think we all are very, very pleased. Oh, thank you so much. I greatly appreciate it.